by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, I'm, I'm Pastor Guy. Welcome to the Passion Church. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, though we may be sitting down, in the natural. <laughs> I pray that our hearts are doing jumping jacks, Lord. I pray that we're in perfect spiritual health. I pray that because of the blood of Jesus, we understand who we are and what we're to do in this life. And that your word will bring life today. More life. More glory to our life so we can be a greater reflection for your goodness. And as Joe said, I love you, Jesus. Why don't we all just say that together? I love you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, stir up that love in our hearts today. Open the, our ears, the spiritual ears to hear and our hearts to receive because what gets down in this heart is what's important in our life. We open up ourselves to, to your word today, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Just wanted to briefly mention that I published my first book here recently. And uh, if anybody would like a copy, just see me. <clears throat> it's about all, it's all these stories that I tell all the time, and then at the end of it, it tells what I should have learned from that story, a biblical interpretation of that story. Uh, let's go to the treasure box. I don't know how fresh the candy is. I can, I'm not vouching for that. <laughs> but, but today, I'd like to honor someone, well, two people, who came up here Friday night to take care of our children. Uh, they offered to have a thing for our children so the parents could go out on a date night or whatever because they love the children. They love to spend time with the children. Could I get Denise Santucci and Melody Smith to come up? She's with the children. Well, here, you get one for her. All right. Y'all give her a big hand. <clears throat> God has a special place in his heart for those who love his children. I can guarantee you that. Mm. All right. I, I would also like to get Marsha Price to come up. She's going to be leaving for Turkey. Is this your last week with us for a couple months? She leaves Tuesday. She's, she's going to see what the Lord would have for her in Turkey. So uh, I'd like you all to stretch forth your hand. Just turn to the congregation. and We're going to lay hands on you, spiritual hands. Father, we just ask your spirit, lead and guide her in every step that she takes. Your courage, fill her heart. That you would open, indeed, the eyes of her understanding and know what her call is in Turkey to see what it is where she can be most effective, and then give her that, that power to preach the gospel and the power to demonstrate the gospel. And I pray for, along with her, her friend who goes with her, Lord, that these things, that they are empowered to make a difference for your kingdom in a place that sorely needs it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Miss Marsha. We're, 
we're rooting for you. Call, I think, you know, you can call from Turkey and let us know how things are going. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 10. We're going to look at verse 17. This is the story of the rich young ruler. How'd you like that to be your title? I'm rich, I'm young, and I'm ruling, baby. (laughs) Well, that's kind of the way I feel like this guy is. Verse 17 says, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem. Now, where's Jesus going? He's going to give his life. A man came running up and knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. and You will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. In many ways, I see this story as a story about our identity. This young man saw himself as rich. That's who he was. He took pride in being rich, young, and a ruler. And when he got to Jesus, he fell down and he called him good teacher. He didn't say master. He didn't say Lord. He's like, I believe he came with the attitude like, I'm going to get this teacher to acknowledge that I already have what it takes because I got everything that the world offers. I'm young, I'm rich, and I'm I'm powerful. I've often looked at that scripture where it says, Jesus says, why do you call me good? There's only one good, and that's God. Is Jesus confused about his identity? I don't think so. I think he's saying that facetiously. He's saying, why do you call me good? Because there's only one good, and that's God. He knew he was, I'm God. I know who I am. We're about to have a discussion about your identity. Who do you feel like you are? People can have their identity in many things these days. Their occupation, you ask them, Tell me about yourself. Well, I'm a pipe fitter. I'm a teacher. I do taxes. And so the first thing you hear about them is what they identify with. Many people identify with their occupation. Some of you very beautiful people out there, you may identify with your appearance. Everything that that you see about yourself is, I'm so beautiful. But... More of us are like the opposite of that. I mean, we got John Crawford over here, but. (laughs) I knew he would take it from there, you see. (laughs) 
<laughs> but the rest of us, you know, you know, some, well, some of us could be like, well, you know, my identity is in my lack of beauty. Uh, I can't, you know, they're, they're not going to see me this way or, you know, we, we, we feel less than because we're not beautiful. Some people's identity is in their ethnicity. I'm Irish-American. I'm Italian-American. Some in their politics. I'm Republican. I'm Democrat. I don't care about any of that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Everybody's got their identity somewhere. Even today, I see people have latched on to this idea that who they are is in their sexual preferences. How different if we were to begin to define ourselves according to what God made us and to what God, our creator, says we are. Two things we're going to discuss today. You ready? The first thing is what you believe about God. Because what you believe about God determines do you have faith for his promises? And of course, your eternal destiny. Kind of important. Look at your neighbor and say, that's kind of important. So we're going to examine what we should believe about God. The second thing we're going to talk about is, what do you believe about yourself? Because what you believe about yourself determines what you accomplish here on the earth. How far you get with what God gave. So first, what should we believe about God? Well, everything that I've seen in the Word of God and everything that I feel in my heart, everything that I have experienced in my life, God's holy. God is just. God is righteous. Man, he's awesome, all-knowing, all-powerful. When I think about God, man, there comes a, a reverent awe to my heart. But in Psalms 86, 15, it says, But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious and long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. And I'm thankful for that. Because the awesomeness of God could kind of make me want to shy away. But to combine that with the mercy and love and how he's long suffering for me. What he did on the cross makes me want to draw near. It makes me want to draw near and know that I'm, I'm held in some pretty powerful hands. What, should, what do you think about God in your life? Is he someone to be feared and not dealt with or is he someone to run into his arms? And say, God, have your way. I see him as a loving father. And I see us as children that he wants to dwell with. And children that he wants to bless. And I see us as children that he wants us to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. So that we can be in the family business. Was you here last week? Who remembers what the family business is? Well, let's go back to last week's notes. No. <laughs> Restoration. The family business. 
See, you can't restore anybody if you hadn't been restored. And so he wants to work it out in you. He wants your salvation to be working out. And as it comes on the outside, it begins to help restore others. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Look at your neighbor and say, what does God want from me? Let's read it over here. Romans 8, 29 says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He wants a big family, a good family. Verse 30 says, And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave him right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them glory. We're talking about God's plan for your life, right? What God wants from you. So he's, who's he talking about? Christians. Those who confess the name of Jesus. He, that's who them is in this verse. So you can say, hey, that's who I am. I want you to see yourself in this verse, okay? We're going to exchange them for me. Is that reasonable to do, just to read through it? Verse 30, and having chose me, say having chose me, he called me to come to him. And having called me, he gave me right standing with himself. And having given me right standing, he gave me his glory. That's not difficult to understand, is it? He chose you. He called you. He set you right. And he gave you his glory as much as you'll receive. Do you know you can walk in more of God's glory than you're walking in right now? If you will submit to his calling and walk in that right standing. It goes on in verse 31. It says, what shall we say about Things so wonderful as these. What should, we, what, is, what should be our response to this? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? We're talking about that great, big, powerful, righteous, holy, all-knowing, all-seeing, awesome God. If he feels this way about us, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? Is there anyone that can stand against God? Since he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? I mean, if, if we were worth that to him, that he gave his very best, he didn't withhold his own son for us. That's hard for us to grasp, I know. We hear it and it becomes a cliche. But he gave his very best. Because we're chosen, we're called, and he wanted to make us right so we could share with him in his glory. Are you going to let that build an uh, inner picture in your heart today, or are you just going to walk out of here the same? I just want to know, we can just quit now. Is this not the word of God? 
Is it not living and powerful and able to change you from the inside out? If you will receive it, you are chosen, you are called, and you have right standing with God, and he wants to give you more of his glory in your life. And if God be for you, tell me who can be against you. I mean, that's a shouting message right there. I mean, we might as well just park right here for a little while till we get this. If we would get this, we wouldn't spend the next 20 years going around them same old mountains, digging them same old ruts in our life, thinking, woe is me, low is me, oh, is me. Are you listening? Be it done unto you according to your faith. This is the word of God. What does Psalm 139 say in verse 15 about what he thinks about us? It says, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. He put you there, that little seed, and he watched as he knit you together in your mother's womb. And let's just take a side note. How must he feel about some forceps being drawn up in there and, and cutting you up, cutting little babies up and pull, yanking them out? You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment laid out before a single day has passed. You're talking about have a calling on your life. It's already been written. Before you was even born, he had a plan for your life. How precious are your thoughts about me, oh God. They cannot be numbered. You said, there's seven billion people on the planet. How could he be thinking about me? Oh, he's God. That's how. He knows the names of all the sparrows. He called the stars by name. He knows you. He knows the hairs on your head. And man, he thinks about you all the time. He don't think about you as much, Richard. Because <laughs> he ain't got as many hairs on his head. <laughs> or you did it to yourself. Now you was the one making... Uh, There's pictures of him with long hair when he was young. <laughs> now, our illustrious senior pastor, Dr. Steve Vickers, he sent me an email the other day. It said this. Just out of the blue, he just, he's so uplifting. He said, never doubt God's relentless love and overwhelming grace for you. Like a great waterfall continually pouring out over you. And this description is pitifully inadequate. God's great love for you is so far beyond any description. Only the cross can fully tell the story. And you have only to look to the cross to remember how loved that you are. How adored. 
And listen to the prayer that Jesus prayed before he went to the cross. Father, that they might know that you love them as much as you love me. I'm trying to build an inner, a new inner picture in your heart through the scriptures. Are you seeing? You see, the world is only concerned about appearances and outward images. But what's God concerned about? The heart, your character. The definition for character is the mental and moral qualities distinctive to an individual. So your character is distinctive to you. You can't have the you can't say, well, my dad does this. Or my son, he's oh. That's, that doesn't have anything to do with your character. The only person that can change your character is you and God. Or you and the devil. God's concerned about character because out of character flows our behavior. And thus who we become. Greek philosopher Heraclitus said, A man's character is his fate. Slow down and listen to that, because it's got a lot of wisdom to it. A man's character is his fate. God may say it more along the lines of who you are on the inside will be who you are on the outside. Who you are on the inside will determine the steps that you take and the direction that you go and the achievements that you make towards your calling in this life. Jesus had an issue with the Pharisees because they were all about image, all about appearance. He said, you, you wash the outside of the cup, but on the inside you're full of greed and debauchery. You look good in your new robes and your tassels. And your prayers, oh, they sound so religious. But I see what's on the inside. You teachers of religious law. You're like whitewashed tombs. Man, up above the earth, oh, that's that nice granite that you clean off. And you, you've got it nicely uh, decorated with your name and who you are and what you do, but on the inside, you're dead man's bones. There's no flesh on you. There's no substance to you. You're dry and you're dusty. There's no life. If that's the way you're feeling, And God would say, dry bones come alive. Let these words of mine resurrect you to who you were called to be. How's your gooey center stacking up with your candy coating? Have you ever bought one of those cheap heart things at Walgreens after 
Valentine's Day is over, you get it for 50 cents or something. I got a whole box of chocolates, you know, and you rip off the cover and you pop that first one in your mouth. And you pull it out and it's got some pink stuff on the inside. You already ate those? My mama used to buy them. And I'd be all excited. I'd come home and I'd rip open the box and every piece in there has got a little a bite out of it where she put it, put it back in there when she, ugh. Like somebody, why she put it back in there like somebody else going to eat it now? <laughs> I believe it was in the mortal words of Forrest Gump who said, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And that's the way it is in the world. People look all good on the outside. They got the nice clothes. They got the nice car. They got the nice house. Oh, they got the wonderful social media presence. But you don't know what's going on on the inside. You bite into that, and you might, you might have to spit it out. It's like, oh, my goodness. Come on, somebody testify. But Christians should be different. You know why? Because we carry the name of Jesus. We're supposed to be carrying the glory of the Lord Jesus. Our character is supposed to be different than the world. Our character is supposed to match up with what we say we believe. When somebody bites into us, they ought to say, Oh, I taste truth. I taste integrity. I taste character. Godly character. Pastor John Hagee said something pretty smart. He said, God never alters the robe of righteousness to fit the man. Rather, he alters the man to fit the robe. God's standards aren't going to change. We must change. Are there things that you want to change in your life, but you just hadn't been able to? Come on now. I got to raise my hand. None of us feel like, hey, we got it all together. I can guarantee you. We are all in here. We got our weak points. We got our issues. Things that we have worked on and worked on and tried with our I tried our best to change about us, but we keep falling backwards. We keep, it's like, a, it's like you walk through that living room and that, just, that recliner just calling your name, Joe. You know you got work to do, but it's like, no, this is, this is who I am. You ever just been tempted to say, this is just who I am. It's how God made me. And you know it's wrong, what you're doing. You know it needs to change. Don't just say, this is just who I am. But we know this, good intentions don't make any changes in our life, does it? And our willpower may help us change for a moment, but it's about as reliable as the cell phone service in Pakistan. And I know, try to do a Zoom call over there, you're going to have to reconnect about 10 times. You're wondering if you're even getting across to them. So are you frustrated? 
I get frustrated. I get frustrated with me. Let's just be honest. Here we go, 2023, same thing in 2022. I'll be honest, same thing in 1982. Some of you may not go back that far. (laughs) Oh, I could go back to the 70s (laughs) and the 60s. (laughs) Why can't I change? Why is this me? And Angie's saying, yeah, I hope you learned something from this message. (laughs) And, And we're tempted to say, it's just who I am. It's just, I guess it's just me. Lie! Look at your neighbor and say, that's a lie. You look in the mirror and you don't like the you that you see sometimes. Ah. Therein lies the problem. What you're seeing. What have we talked about lately? What you can see, you will be. So if you're seeing yourself, this is just the way I am. I've always done this. It's my thing. I can't help it. It's just who I am. Nope. Lie. Godly change begins on the inside. It's in the way you see you. Any lasting change must come from the inside. Craig Rochelle, in a book called The Power to Change, he says change starts with who, not do. We want to rush out and do it. We want to make it happen with willpower, a good plan, and reform our habits. But at the end of the day, when the willpower has faded, and we ain't thinking right. We go back to thinking about who I really am. And that's that recliner. We fall right back into it. We fall right back into this is just who I am. We hate it. But we do it. In that book he says a couple of things. He says we live out who we think we are. He says, we ask ourselves, what a person like me do in a position like this? In other words, if you find yourself in some kind of mess or some kind of trouble or maybe some kind of good situation, any kind of situation you find yourself, what's the first thing we ask ourselves? Well, what would I do in this situation? What should I do? And what have I always done? And if we happen to see ourselves a certain way, that's what we're going to do. Does that make sense? You know, Angie don't call me pastor normally. She never calls me pastor unless I just said something really obnoxious or stupid or, <laughs> or acted in a way. Then she'll say, pastor. What is she doing? She's trying to hold me accountable to the way I should see myself. You know, I'm a human. I could say that's just who I am. But God has called me to a higher level. And he's called you to a higher level. 
You should remind yourself of who you are. You're a child of God. You're a princess of the king or a prince of the king. The way you see yourself is the way you're going to respond in the situation. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. The change must begin at the heart level. So how do we begin to see ourselves according to the way God made us? A creation needs to know the intentions of the creator to flourish, doesn't he? Do you not believe that God has your best in mind? Do you not believe that if you lived according to the plan that your creator created for you, that it would be better than this plan that you seem to have followed somewhere along the way? Do you not believe that God has good intentions after all we've said about God's character? That he is for you and not against you? That he is all-powerful and able to get you there? But you have to begin to change on the inside. You have to believe the scriptures. A new self-image has to begin to take place within you. Romans 12, 2 tells us how to do it. You want to turn there? Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you. We're trying to do it in our own strength, ain't we? But we need to let God transform us. Let God transform you into a new person. Doesn't the Bible say that we were made new creations in Christ Jesus? Aren't we supposed to be a new person? We're not just a taped up, bandaged up old sinner that I used to be. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. I need to learn to be this new person. I need to work out this salvation. I mean, you can have a bank account with a million dollars in it, but if you don't work any of it out, it's just going to sit there and do nothing. The salvation is in you. But it's your responsibility through the Word of God and the Spirit of God to work it out. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. He didn't say changing the way you do, changing your habits, changing your underwear. That would be good. But no, changing the way you think. The battlefield is right here. Then you will learn to know what is God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I can promise you God's will for you is better than what you're living and even better than what you're hoping to live. Because it's not entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. You can do infinitely more than you ask or think if you will follow God and let his word transform you from the inside out. The message paraphrase in that same scripture, Romans 12, 2, says don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. 
unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best in you, develops a well-formed maturity in you. Somebody say, let God. Say, let go. And let God. <laughs> we must recognize where we've been when where we've been deceived. Some of you may not do a self-evaluation very often. But if you're going to change, you need to recognize the areas that need to be changed. If you don't know, ask your neighbor. They'll probably be happy to tell you. Somebody in your family, I'm sure they'll raise their hand and tell right off on you, you know. Recognize the areas that you need to change and then go back to where you believe the lie about that. Somewhere along the line, you know, the fellas in the locker room told you you were supposed to see how far you could get with young ladies. But you begin to realize this is not God's will. For me to be the man that, that real men protect women from, godly men. So go back and say, why did I listen to those knuckleheads in the locker room? God's word says that the marriage bed is undefiled. You see what I'm saying? We've believed lies, so go back to where you, you started and replace it. You see what I'm saying? Recognize and replace. You really ought to bring you a, a notepad. <laughs> and if you don't have one, go get one after the service and say, what areas of my life do I need to change in? And what am I believing that's contrary to God's word? And then find the scriptures on it and replace that theology in your heart. And say, that's no longer who I am. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Behold, all things are becoming new in me. Recognize and replace. When, when you're Weeding your heart, you gotta, you gotta get down to the root. You gotta pluck it all out. If you if you just pluck the top off, guess what? It's gonna grow back. So you don't just say, Well, I'm I'm just gonna stop doing that for a lot a while. That's not who I am, I'm gonna stop doing that. No, you got to get you got to get down to that root and say, This is where I believe the lie, and I'm plucking it out, and I'm placing a new seed in my heart. This is who I am now. To change the fruit, you got to deal with the root. You know, when I was growing up, there was this thing called Sheffield Pride. Maybe you experienced it in your life. I don't know, but all the men folks, and there was like eight uncles I got. Man, you're a Sheffield. You can hunt and fish better than all of them. You're stronger. You're faster. You're smarter. 
You're better looking. Man, they was just instilling us with pride. You're a Sheffield. And you know what? I grew up, and I was a terrible hunter and fisher. Seriously, I still am. People was like, you got a boat? Let's go fishing. You don't want to go with me, and we won't catch nothing. <laughs> New identity. Thank you. You see what I'm saying? When I begin to see in the Word of God that he who humbles himself will be exalted, not he who exalts himself, I begin to plant a new seed. I don't have to be have Sheffield pride. That was a lie. That put me in bondage, made me feel bad about myself. And even if I was the things that I claimed to be, it, it would not make me the man I should be. And so, it set me free. What set me free? The truth. You shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. The truth is in the setting free business. The truth is in the restoration business. It's, one of your, it's, it's like the hammer on your side in the restoration business. You get it out and you whack those, those lies with it. I know where that came from. The truth works from the inside out. Proverbs 4.20 says, My child, pay attention to what I say. <laughs> you ever told your kid that? Well, this is God saying it to you, okay? Pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart. Why don't it say into your mind? Because change begins on the inside, in your heart. You can change your mind, but not change your life. You change your heart, you change your life. This is just the gatekeeper. This decides what seeds you plant here. Does that make sense? So you, it says, don't lose sight of my words. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them. And healing to your whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Does it say the Sheffield clan determines the course of your life? Your bank account, how beautiful you are, your sexual preference, your ethnicity. What does it say determines the course of your life? The heart. And what does it need planted in it but the truth? If you can get those lies out, you can recognize the lies and replace them with the truth, then it will determine the course of your life and the extent to which you will follow God's calling and receive His glory here on the earth. Today when I woke up, on uh, today's Bible Verse app, today's verse of the day was Psalms 4610. It says, be still and know that I am God. 
And I know the plans that I have for you. The problem is, is the only time we get still is when it's time to just collapse and go to sleep. The problem is, is we don't spend any time in his presence to let him speak our identity into our hearts. But if we'll be still and know, get that knowing that he's God and the characteristics that we talked about, he's for me, not against me. He knows my name. He formed me in the seclusion of my mother's womb. Everything about him is for me. And if God be for me, who can be against me? And what does God say about me? What is God's plan for my life? If we will be still. I wrote a song called Be Still and Know when I first became a Christian. One of the verses says, why do you run from me? It's, it's written in the, as if the Lord was speaking it. Why do you run from me? Oh, when I love you so. I'd put rings on your fingers. I'd clothe you in my finest robe. And when my blood felt like rain, and I hung naked, cold, and all alone, it was you I was thinking of. And the day you'd be coming home. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God and I know the plans that I have for you. And the Lord would tell you today, I will gladly share them with you. If you will get still with me, I will give you your new identity. So how God feels about you is evident. <clears throat> You're his masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10 but whether you receive it or not, or whether you ever become it or not, is determined whether you'll let it in your heart, let it take root, and let it begin to produce fruit. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. The rich young ruler left sad, but he'd have been oh so much sadder if he'd have realized what could have been in his life. If he wasn't holding on to his identity in the world so tightly. He was wanting what the world wanted. If he'd have let go and found his, his life in, hidden in Christ, he'd have found his real life. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.